Hello and welcome to this fourth episode for Advent in First Lutheran Podcasts. We are focused this year in Advent on the theme, the Advent theme of Savior of the Nations Come. And in Advent 4 now we are on the eve of Christmas tide. And this week we'll be talking a little bit about the Magnificat and Luther's commentary on the Magnificat and uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's music, which informs us and also lifts up uh, the power of the Magnificat. I'll be joined later by Pastor John Christofferson and by Zachary Brockhoff as we'll discuss some of, uh, some of this and an understanding of the Magnificat that hopefully will bring a fuller sense of, of uh, Christmas for you as we now end uh, Advent, the season of Advent, and work into the Christmas season. Each week in the Advent series, we have focused on uh, the Gospel text from the Gospel of Matthew. And for this week, our Gospel text comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is the birth of Jesus the Messiah, as told by Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. I'd like to welcome to our podcast today, uh, Pastor John Christofferson, and welcome back, Zachary Brockoff, today, as we uh, are here in the fourth week of Advent, and we are on the eve of Christmas tide. and I thought we would take on the subject of the Magnificat. This is one of, uh, of a great tradition in the Lutheran Church. Uh, Luther himself gave great uh, kudos to the Magnificat and did a lot of work in his commentary on it. And of course, we know that uh, along came Bach a couple hundred years later and also did this amazing work that he lifts up the Magnificat as well that is greatly appreciated uh, by even not even the greatest of musical aficionados. <laughs> uh, so welcome, both of you, to the podcast today. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, uh, Pastor John, I'd like to invite you to read the text for us from Luke 1 of the Magnificat. Okay, from Luke Chapter 1, beginning with verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. The Lord has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our forebears, to Abraham and Sarah, and to their posterity forever. Thanks for reading uh, the text there, Pastor John. Um, these are, as Luther says, some of the sweetest words spoken in all of Scripture. Uh, as as we were uh, thinking about doing this Advent podcast, you know, we've worked through this theme of Savior of the Nations Come, and we've kind of focused each week on a little bit different perspective of that. Of course, uh, Christ is coming, Christ has come, Christ will come again. And of course, in Advent 4, we kind of turn in earnest to here he is. Uh, it is the Christ child that has been spoken of for generations and generations. It is the fulfillment of the promise and covenant made with Abraham uh, coming to earth now uh, in that. So uh, let's just kind of jump into a little bit of understanding this text um, that, that is laid out. Uh, some of the challenges with it sometimes that, that kind of creeps into our, our thinking and our, our way of actually uh, dealing with this text. Uh, and then, of course, we have some historical perspectives with this. And then, of course, uh, we overlay uh, a little bit of Luther and Bach and try to get an understanding why that is such an important part of our tradition uh, in the Lutheran Church. So, uh, John, I welcome you to kind of give us some uh, initial thoughts on um, dealing with this text. I mean, what, what kind of uh, presents itself here? Yeah, I think really at the heart of this text is is the incarnation and Mary herself is always pointing beyond herself uh, very similar to the Eisenheim altarpiece of, of uh, Grunewald uh, of John the Baptist and and much like John the Baptist you know Mary is pointing beyond to the Christ child uh, to the one who is to be born among us as the Savior of the world and I think this sense of the incarnation, God coming to us in the flesh, is so very, very important and at the heart of our Christian faith and at the heart of the Magnificat um, because Luther wants us to understand as well as those who followed after him, like in the Lutheran tradition, uh, such as Bonhoeffer and Paul Tillich, that uh, we can fear <laughs> easily enough uh, a God who is totally other, as Bart would say, uh, who is a God of power and might, but um, one who comes to dwell among us in uh, lowliness and in humility um, is one um, who we can trust and love, who identifies with us in the frailty of our flesh. And actually, to quote Luther himself, at the beginning of his commentary on the Magnificat, he writes, No one can love God unless that person makes himself known to us in the most lovable and intimate fashion. And when he says, makes himself known, he's referring to God here. And uh, that is what I really see here at the heart of it, and it is filled with such um, surprise even for Mary, uh, shocked that this angel of God should come to her. And this really gets at the heart of our uh, Lutheran confessions, too. It's about the provenience of God's grace. God coming to us 
just almost out of, no pun intended, thin air, right. you know? And um, this is, this is the, uh, the wonder uh, of this text. And um, Mary struggles. She really struggles to find words um, in, in this text. And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that um, I think in our Lutheran tradition we sometimes forget, and in Protestantism in general, that the word uh, verbum is more than just that which is spoken or oratio. That there are times like when Mar with Mary this is such an ineffable experience of spirit speaking unto spirit like in Romans 8 that um, she struggles to find words and um, words are given to her by the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, this is where Bach comes into play here by giving us the gift of not only God's word that has come to us, the word that is proclaimed and spoken, but the language that Zachary would use too here is that we have a sermon in song. And Zachary, how, how do you see that in terms of in this text, how Bach kind of gives it a fuller sense from this canticle uh, of Scripture, uh, of this song of Mary, um, of praise to that which Bach then took and orchestrated. Well, there's, I think, a lot of ways that, that Bach's going to do that. Um, and uh, we should say something just about this piece in general. One is it's uh, Bach wrote this when he got to Leipzig in, uh, in Germany and began his work there. That's where he composed the majority of his cantatas, one for each Sunday of the church year, and this is actually the first work he writes when he gets to Leipzig, uh, which is interesting, and originally written for uh, Christmas Day uh, in 1723. So, uh, yes, he does all of these kinds of things you're talking about, and... Um, the piece itself is, uh, as I've mentioned a couple times now uh, today, 28 minutes long, so we really can't listen to the whole thing and, and get the complete picture of this. Um, but I think what I'd like to do in a little while um, is is play some excerpts and, and to kind of take my cue of what those might be uh, from some of the perspective that Luther brings to this perhaps first, if that's helpful. I don't know, yeah. Pastor Jeff, if you think that's... Yeah, there's, you know, there's several ways, of course, Luther starts to deal with this text. And, um, and, and Pastor John, you allude to this, obviously, in, in that Mary even has trouble finding words. And it's kind of like, um, as I was thinking about this, you know, some, sometimes you hear, you know, after people hear this text, well, isn't it nice how Mary, you know, uh, agrees mm -hmm. with what God is doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, she, she, she approves with God's plan and, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and Luther starts to deal with this very quickly, actually, uh, in, in pulling out, like you said, he, he asserts the theology of the cross here. What is God really up to? Um, you know, this isn't uh, about glorifying Mary. It's mm -hmm. actually finding this, you know, young girl in very, very humble means and, he is the creator using the creature the way that he intends. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, uh, we get this great, uh, um, you know, marvelous 
a poetic style uh, response to what God is up to there. Um, but it also kind of starts to um, cause some trouble once in a while as we start to look at this scripture kind of prescriptively of it, you know, telling us what we have to do to be in agreement with God when God comes into our lives and we recognize those opportunities and those kinds of things. Well, I'll submit. I'll submit to what God's doing. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I can't get the line, you know, that Christ uses to the Pharisees of don't claim Abraham because it, God can create children for Abraham from these stones laying here. And, I, and I'm thinking the same thing, you know, of what's going on. So, so Luther starts to actually parse this out a little bit uh, in his understanding that um, of kind of dealing with Mary's, you know, low estate first. That's kind of his first uh, mm-hmm. foray into to dealing with the, the text itself. He then uh, takes on this idea of the Theotokos, the, the bearer of God, mm-hmm. the mother of God mm-hmm. uh, uh, situation. And then he uh, eventually gets into kind of redirecting into the works of God amongst God's creatures. And then, of course, um, of reiterating the promise that was made to Abraham, and that's that's so much of a of a part of you know what makes this a, a fruitful discussion for the Christmas Advent season of what God is actually uh, up to there. So Bach keys off on that uh, certainly as yeah. as he starts to write this, um, and like you were talking about the historical kind of understanding as. I guess I have to ask the question, why do we stick Luther and Bach together in a way? Yeah, I think that's that's an important uh, question and um, to understand why this podcast and, and why I guess I would be here um, <laughs> at all. Um, I think uh, there's a couple of things. We know, um, despite the fact that, that, that Bach um, lived many years after Luther, we know he read Luther. Uh, we know... Uh, that he had Lutheran biblical commentaries in his library. Um, uh, and, and for a composer and a person that we know really very little about, um, he was probably too busy writing uh, cantatas for each Sunday of the church year, too busy composing, and I've heard one person say he had better things to do than write about himself. Um, we do know that he read Luther and that he was Lutheran, and that his work in the church was specifically for the Lutheran church. So, uh, yeah. And my understanding is, I mean, and, and Pastor John actually alluded to this a little bit, I mean, their lives kind of intersected really oddly. I mean, they were in kind of the same places, uh, yes. somewhat in the same stage uh-huh. of life, yep. uh, 200 years apart. Yes, and Bach's, Bach is sort of all over Germany now where he, where he does his work mostly in terms of choral writing is in is in Leipzig and so there's a there's a wonderful um, book by Robin Lieber who taught may still be teaching I don't know where he's on the faculty now but he was at Yale for a long time Bach J.S. Bach in the scriptures and it particularly looks at Bach's um, what was in Bach's library what he knew and what we find in there is that Bach actually writes I don't remember the passage of Scripture that it's associated with, but he writes commentary in his personal Bible, basically, mm-hmm. as he reads. The comment that he makes, and I think it has to do with a passage in Colossians, but well, I don't know, we can look that up later. Um, he says, where there is devotional music, God with his grace is always present. Now, uh, I think musicians take this to mean all music is good for God. 
right? Whether right. whether it's uh, Bach or something written yesterday, um, as long as it sort of speaks about God, um, that's enough. We can sort of use this then uh, as the church. But I don't think that's quite fair because when you look at when you look at what Bach actually does with this Magnificat, um, it's uniquely Lutheran. It's un- uniquely speaking multiple times of the promise that God makes to Abraham. Um, and uh, and so that's particularly the thing I'd like to highlight. But there, there's there's a there. This is a good dialogue between really two Lutherans. You can't get more Lutheran than Luther, and maybe more Lutheran than Bach too. So right. yeah, right. I think Jeff, you know, one thing for us to speak about here is how does this join with us today? Yeah, how does this speak to people? of this generation that Mary foretells from generation to generation. And I think it is the sense of her, as you said earlier, in her low estate, um, according to all worldly standards of wealth and power, she was this very simple gal from Nazareth, you know, who was kind of a plain Jane, yeah. Even though her name was Mary, yeah, <laughs> and um, and God consistently throughout Scripture um, chooses those folk to be ambassadors for the gospel for His saving word, who are of lowly estate, um, and so I think there's a sense of her being surprised by God's word that says you are my beloved and she says I am amazingly blessed here that God should come to me in my low estate and how that is for us today too that we are called as you said earlier to move beyond to use the language of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12 1 through 3 I will bless you, says the Lord, that you might be a blessing. And so it is with Mary that she speaks about, I have been blessed by God, and so it is my prayer that you continue to to bear this word that I am bearing now in the flesh for all the world. And so for us as the Christian church today, to remind people that their identity is as children of God, it is not upon all earthly treasures. And this is kind of the counterpoint between the, the world uh, and its standards and those that are God's, of turning the world upside down on its value system, which mm-hmm. Jesus does, as we well know, in the Beatitudes. And um, Luther had a mystic uh, influence, uh, particularly by Meister Eckhart. And um, I know some of my... Good Genesio friends would have some troubles with the Meister on this. But I love the fact that in this commentary, Luther draws on the the, uh, Greek Orthodox tradition of the Theotokos, which means Theo, God, Tokos, to bear. And uh, Meister Eckhart, I I found this quote of his that I love, and I'm, I'm quoting him here. We are all meant to be mothers of God. For what good is it? to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I don't also give birth to him in my time and place through proclamation and witness. 
This, then, is the fullness of time when the Son of God is begotten in and through all of us in the Christian community. And I think uh, that's, that's that movement from the Magnificat and Mary's witness um, that she, in a fashion, is praying for for all generations to come. Yeah, I... Uh that's good. I like I said. I know um, you know Luther deals with this whole um, idea of what it means to to be the bearer of God, um, and and what that how that actually plays out. I think one of the one of the challenges that we experience with that quite often. If I I mean if I can speak into this, is we kind of get sure. this co-participation or co-creation with God type of a mm-hmm. of a thought that comes in with that again mm-hmm. that and I and I kind of talked about that a little bit earlier of you know Mary's willingness to do this and and then the other part of that is, is again bringing this idea that of course uh, the church exists because proclamation has endured the generations from the very first promise of the expulsion in the garden to today I mean they're all interconnected in God's promise so um, but the challenge also comes in our active participation in that and what that means versus what yeah. you know God is really up to there. And I think yep. that is part of that too, that yep. you can read in really easy into this text and go, well, this is my what I need to do. <laughs> in, in, in the text, um, for those who want to pick up Luther's Magnificat um, commentary, it's, it's in Luther's works. It's the 21st volume. But I'm going to quote here, um, well, I'm just going to paraphrase. On page 307, he says, one mistake that we do with this, and serendipitously enough with what's going on in Washington right now, is this sense of the quid pro quo. If I do this, God is going to do that. Right. And Luther says, oh boy, I mean, that's, that's going to just, you know, face slam us. The other what? mistake is... <laughs> What the, the medievalists, uh, philosophers, and theologians talked about, uh, they use this little Latin tag, fossera quote in seas, do the best that's in you, and then God is going to do the rest. Right. But if you look at this text, which Luther does very carefully, Luther writes on page 308 in this text, Mary leaves herself out and ascribes everything to God alone. This is very Lutheran from whom she has received such grace and blessing. So if you look closely at the text here in Luke chapter 1 of the Magnificat, just do kind of a self-study here and look where the subject constantly is. It is God. And where is the object of God's grace and salvation? It is coming to Mary. Yeah. Yeah, Luther, uh, one of the the commentaries that I read kind of preparing for this was is. Uh, Luther talked about how the Magnificat is that is the uh, the expulsion of the solas mm-hmm. to God alone the glory, faith alone, word alone. You know, all of the solas of the Lutheran theology are represented here in the Magnificat, uh, and that's that's one of the great assertions that that Luther does make about that in in his commentary. So we see that. Well. I think we have to turn in earnest to what Bach is up to in this uh, a little bit. You know, as you say, all the solas here, Jeff, you know, solely by grace, solely, you know, by God's um, prevenient work. Um, 
But as we're talking about a little, a little earlier here, you know, I was just really taken on, on page 308, for example, in his commentary, where uh, Luther uses that sola deo gloria, to God alone the glory. He uses that nine times on that one page of his commentary. And who do we think of in musical uh, history or musicology but this person named Johann Sebastian Bach, who often would just sign off with that. So, Zachary, how do you see this expressed in in Bach's life or in his in his music? Yeah, it's um, it's all over the place in this in in his music in general, but particularly in this. Um, gosh, I don't know where to start because there's so much throughout this particular piece. Um, Bach does uh, musically what composers continue to do today, and that's having to do a little bit with text painting. Um, particularly, we could we could look at the third movement, um, uh, which is a soprano. It's written for soprano voice alone, um, and the text for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. Behold, from henceforth, I will be called blessed. Um, and if I can just play a little bit of that, you'll hear particularly on the word uh, lowliness, which in the Latin, actually, the, the word that you see in the Latin is humility. Um, in, in my humility, you know, he's regarded the humility of his handmaiden, and then behold, which interestingly I thought with regard to, regard to Christmas, oh, behold there is the same thing, of course, the, the, that the, the angels angel are says. saying. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and Bach sets this now... Uh, with humility actually trending down in the musical line, and there's a unique way then he'll set the word uh, behold, and you'll hear this then start to ascend at the end. I'll just play a little bit of that here. There's the falling line on humility. And now, behold. So simply right there, uh, if, if the point is now, uh, listen to what I have to say at that right. point, right? My humility, my ability to, to somehow conform or allow God to do this is, is not actually the miracle here. Right. I am not the miracle, but it is actually what God's doing. What God is up to. Uh, yes. And so um, uh, right there, uh, this is connecting a little bit with what you're saying um, with regard to Luther. Um, the other, perhaps, two musical things to talk about here, um, Bach begins this, as he often does with many of his cantatas that would follow this, um, with a chorus, with trumpets and all this. We won't play that uh, right now. But the next time the chorus actually enters is right after what you just heard. And uh, it says, Mary has said, Behold, from henceforth 
I will be called blessed. And then the chorus enters and says, by all generations. So here you have the, the generations entering. And uh, this is the first time, one of the first times you all, you sort of have um, a fugue-like structure, which means uh, you're going to hear the same line repeated by all the voices at various points. And the point is, uh, for a while, this, this happens individually, all the generations all over. Right. Let's say let's put this in a way that people can understand from America to to Japan to South America to wherever all right. the generations all over the world. The whole world is saying uh, here. Here are the generations that are going to call you blessed because of what God has done. And at the conclusion of this, they all come together in in saying all of these people now are united under the cross of Christ. So if we listen just briefly to that again. Uh, here's here's perhaps the beginning of that. I'll just play a little. This is the great declaration here, right? All generations shall do this, and that's the that's the little beginning, and then at the end. Here they come together. So it's one of the first times you have the voices finally come together there at the end. So this gathering of, mm. of all the generations is kind of a, it's a neat idea. It's a, uh, it's a reiteration of the promise that God made to Abraham. Right, exactly. So numerous shall your descendants be. Right in there, yeah. So, and and speaking of Abraham, I guess the the other thing I'd, I'd highlight in here, and as I say, there's so much. I mean, I, I'd encourage people listening to this, go find uh, a recording on YouTube. Um, this particular one is John Elliott Gardner and the Monteverdi Choir, um, who are uh, known all over the world for their interpretation of, of Bach and it's available on YouTube, so uh, <laughs> in fact, maybe we can link to that uh, on the website and listen to this whole thing with the text beside. But um, well, we should we should talk about I guess the next time. Well, yeah, towards the end when the when the chorus enters again, and um, uh, what you have prior to this is a move back. What you just heard is is um, certainly. Uh, semi-festive sounding music. It's also in a minor key. Um, most of this piece is in a major key. He moves back to the minor key then at this point of the text, which I think is telling. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Anytime mercy comes up, he's going to a minor key and adding these sort of plaintive sort of sounding instruments and writing musical lines in that sense. Um, so he goes back to the minor key, helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Uh, and he has, this is unique through the whole thing, most of it's solo work or chorus work. This is three voices, two sopranos and an alto. I don't think that's a mistake. How is going, God, going to, God going to help now and remember his mercy, but in the Trinity? The Trinity yeah. And so he has three voices, uh, which also could be 
Israel and all these tribes that get lost and scattered, and now we're going to bring you all together, right, in this way. So here we have uh, the three voices, and it's some of the most sublime music of the, of the whole work. Um, let me see. I'll find this. Here we go. So finesse those three vocal lines together, mm-hmm. right? And this is God. God's going to remember this mercy. And then the chorus enters again. Anytime he wants to make a statement and say this is really what, what what's important, the chorus comes back again to act as the generations, uh, basically. The text here is according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the first time you get an honest-to-goodness fugue in this piece. Uh, now where uh, you'll hear one line of music and another one that follows, uh, and it's the same uh, general theme basically transposed into different keys. Uh, You can listen to that real quick here. There's a sturdiness to this fugue now that hasn't existed in what you just heard by the trio. According to the promise that he makes. Okay, and that goes on for a while, which we won't listen to all of, but as you listen to this, maybe later. And now, when does he break the fugal structure when he gets, and and all of these lines going all over the place of music, is when he gets to the word Abraham. The promise he made to Abraham, and he breaks this. So here is the point that he wants to make, because naturally in music, when you have multiple lines of music going, uh, it's not as loud because you right. divided the chorus. When you bring them back together now in the same rhythm with the same text, it doubles the sound. The powers. Right? Yeah. yeah. So here we have that Abraham. promise he made to Abraham. It's interesting when I was looking at this too, um, in the Latin, which I should have mentioned this, he, Bach sets this in Latin, which is unique for him. He was German. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, most of his cantatas, most everything he wrote is in German. Um, this is in Latin. The other time he does that most famously is with the Mass in B minor. But uh, anyway, it's in Latin, which is interesting. And when I was looking at the Latin as he talks about Abraham and this kind of idea, it's in a, it's in a little duet. And the text 
that Bach sets here, as it's typically translated in English, is his mercy is from generation to generation. And that's fine as far as it goes in the English, but in the Latin, what you actually see is the word progenitor, which simply means forefather. Uh, and the passage that came to mind then, as we think of forefather to the offspring, which is literally what the Latin is saying, from the forefather to the offspring, this, the scripture passage here to reference is Galatians 3, where Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And now in the original Latin, we can see that God's mercy is first to Abraham. God's mercy, God's promise is first to Abraham. And now, because we belong to Christ in baptism, we're Abraham's offspring. The promise, God's mercy, is also ours. Um, and I think we miss that in the typical English translation. But it's important to say God's mercy is not just from generation to another person and on it goes down the line. But it's very specifically given in Christ. And uh, this is the great promise that we can, we can hold on to here. Bach is emphasizing not Mary in this. In fact, anytime Mary sings, almost, it's a solo voice. And one soprano that, that was singing one of these arias in here and, and sort of playing the role of Mary said it's a sort of girlish joy. I mean, there's nothing too serious about what she's doing. When he wants to really say something and bring the chorus in, <laughs> he, brings uh, the chorus. he brings the chorus in, and now right. we're going to talk about what God has to say here. Right. So in a, in a matter of summary. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. To kind of make a transition there sure. from Bach to Luther, at the very close of his commentary, um, he writes, Here we have the foundation of the gospel, and see why in this Magnificat, in all of its teaching and preaching, drives people to faith in Christ and into Abraham's bosom and the promise of God that is ongoing. Mm-hmm. And I think that dovetails beautifully. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, when you Bach ask, what trying. does this have to do with people today? Right. Hmm. Bach is telling you exactly what it has to do with and that this promise also is yours, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and if we, again, reiterate, uh, what is Luther's primary concern? Care of souls. Uh-huh. This is exactly what Luther is speaking to there, is what does this actually mean for you? Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is God totally emerging into the world, into your life. Right in the flesh to give yes. you this promise again right and and where bach bach is um bach is also i think wanting to make a point that god promised it also so as much as and i don't remember exactly what the comment was but sort of out of thin air god does this bach is going to actually say pretty strongly uh god promised to do it and now you you are in this line of right. people that god has has come in and said uh, you don't really have much of a say in this, right? My Holy Spirit's going to do the work here. I'm I'm going to give you faith, right? Um, and uh, th- that's of course the great blessing of of why we'd even bother sitting here listening to a podcast or uh, celebrating Christmas at this point. God has done something with us. God has done it. Yeah, and God has done it. Right. God has done it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Good. In his commentary, Luther makes much ado about the fact that this promise comes 
to Abraham and Sarah, to Israel of old, and the wrestling match with Jacob, and his name being changed from Jacob to Israel, so it is that our lives are transformed too into the newness in Christ who is calling us the new people of Israel, you know, that we still are a part of those who are chosen and called through our baptism. This has been an interesting month to be able to work through Advent uh, and then to take on something like the Magnificat, which, of course, sets us up for the great nativity at Bethlehem. So uh, I thank you both for taking part in this and putting energy and time into it. Uh, And hopefully uh, those of you listening today uh, will find a deeper and broader sense to what Christmas means now, uh, having been through a little bit more understanding of why it's important uh, to recognize Advent and why that, that, um, you know, tells us what God is is up to uh, in our midst. And then, of course, this next week we'll celebrate the Nativity. I'd like to thank you for joining us in this fourth episode of the podcast series and First Lutheran Podcast. This is the final podcast in the Advent series, and I hope that you have enjoyed learning a little bit more about Advent. I'd like to thank Pastor John Christofferson and Zachary Brockhoff for joining me today and bringing a fuller sense of understanding to the Magnificat and how it informs us as we move into Christmas now. I hope that this podcast series has been informative and engaging for you and that it has brought a fuller sense of why it's important for us to recognize the season of Advent uh, in the way that we do. And with that, I hope that the birth of the Christ child in this Christmas season brings you peace and joy and that you would know uh, hope that comes in forgiveness of sins and in new life in Jesus Christ. Blessings to you all and Merry Christmas.